Welcome to Single Minded. I'm Hannah First, your host, and my mum, Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, Hannah. Hi, everyone. You won't be happy because I haven't had my coffee yet. I am sitting in the car Mm. with my laptop next to me at a hostel in a town called 1770. And it was the biggest nightmare to get here. So I drove from Noosa all the way up to 1770. I dropped my friends at Brisbane Airport. It was about a five or six hour drive to get up to 1770. Is it right on the map? It sits on a really yes. tight point. And I want to yes. say that I looked it up because you know how I'm so scared of crocodiles. Yes. And I thought, oh my God, you're going to have millions. There are no crocodiles. Oh, well, that's good. The psychic that I saw though, she said that she saw dolphins and there's a point here that apparently you could do dolphin watching. Yes. I think it's, I think it's only nice things in the water, nothing nasty. And the name 1770, is that 1770? Yeah, Captain Cook apparently came here then or he settled. That's something to do with history. That would be the only town I think in the whole world that's numerical. Yeah, and so the reason that I saw it on the map and I was like, okay, that sounds like a really weird place. I'm going to go there. And I started driving. I filled my petrol up full and all of a sudden it went completely pitch black. There were frogs. I ran over, I reckon, 500 frogs, like squashed. They kept running out in front of the car. There were a million bugs coming onto my windscreen. And then I get down to flashing petrol, like were zero you petrol. screaming? I would have been screaming. I was screaming. I was, yeah, but I also had no reception. So there was no <laughs> reception, no petrol and, and no light and frogs everywhere. So I couldn't get out of the car. I couldn't call Ugh. anyone. I couldn't call you to like have a stress attack. So I'm sitting, leaned really far forward. I almost had a panic attack. Anyway, I roll into 1770 and my petrol is has been flashing for 20 minutes. I couldn't deal. It's Queensland. Petrol stations aren't open after 8 o'clock. So I tried two petrol stations, both closed, got into 1770, almost ran out of petrol. There was a petrol station right there filled up with petrol. And then I got to my hostel and I just felt so out of whack. Uh, I felt really weird last night. Well, we were meant to record last Last night night. and that didn't happen. But do you know that the last census they did, which is a bit of a while ago, there's only 69 people in 1770. Does it seem quiet? No, because there's lots of backpacker places. And I spoke to the owner of the hostel that I'm at and I walked in and and immediately I felt like I was in Thailand, like immediately. It does look sensational on the internet, my sort of place. So, so no, because there's no nice places to stay, oh. Mum. And there's you'd look at the bathrooms and you'd just cry. No marble bathrooms? Oh, no. Okay, can't no. be going there. So, so the guy said to me, though, you'll love this. He said, people come here and they don't leave because there's apparently a magnetic field. And he told me to go visit it today. There's some sort of mag- magnetic field. And so apparently that's why people come and don't leave. So mm. I may never leave. This may be my new well, home. I will certainly come and visit you very soon. It's really at the very pointy tip. Yeah. yeah it looks gorgeous. I better try the coffee and see what almond milk they have oh, before you oh, come here. I'm be going no after breeze. this to get my coffee. Anyway, let's get on to the episode this week. So we have a very special guest, Kat John. I actually recorded it at the end of last year and I had goosebumps the entire interview. I was just like, 
I, I just knew everything she said was what I needed to hear before the end of the year. So I really hope this is a good interview for everyone to hear as they go into 2021 and it becomes a new year. So, Mum, you... Yes, so generally I don't know your guests, but I was very excited to hear you had Kat John because I follow her on Instagram, love what she does. And even though, as you know, I hate the overuse Sweary. of the word... The F word. Fuck. Cat yep. is just so real. It actually kind of sounds appropriate when she... <laughs> <laughs> says save your yep. fucks for the things that matter yes. and just one other thing on cat is that I remember when someone close to me was having a hard time at work I got online and bought one of cat's t-shirts you with did. the zero, zero F, fucks zero fks's on it <laughs> so very excited to hear cat yes she's it was amazing so let's get into the interview and then Linda will come back and see what you think at the end I am really excited to introduce my next guest, Kat John. She's a personal coach and a meditation teacher, and she's the founder of the ZF Tuesday movement, which is Zero Fucks Tuesday. And I've been to a few of her dance events, (laughs) and I absolutely love what you're about. And I am such a big dancer and think dancing is so healing. So I really wanted to chat to you today about your story and how you got to where you are, and particularly how you swapped medicine for meditation. Oh, beautiful. Thanks, Han. I'm glad you said fucks because just checking if I'm allowed to swear on this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, you are. <laughs> Firstly, it's, it's awesome to, to be here and to chat to you. And I love that we are always interconnected, you know, from our little times yes. that we've met one another. So I'm, I'm really happy to be here. So as you said, what I do now and for the last six years going into seven years, I've got my own business in coaching in meditation, keynote speaker and run trainings, etc. really to, to help people come back to the heart of who they are and what matters to their heart and then save their fucks for what matters to them, what truly matters to them. But obviously prior to that, it wasn't always that way. And who I am today, I haven't always been that way. So Prior to the work that I do now, uh, I was a registered nurse. I remember in year 12, my friend said to me, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I said, you know, I'd really love to help people, but not in a traditional psychology way. So it's really interesting. At the age of 18, I already had this thought of I want to help people, but not in a traditional psychology way. And my mate said to me, well, dude, there's no university degree that fits that bill and so my mum was a nurse then I got into nursing I thought well maybe that's my foot in the door I'm still helping people and and serving people so I'll rock and roll down that road and I did but at that time I was 18 I was a big party head you know we were like free and (laughs) didn't have to go to school yeah join the club (laughs) yeah exactly and university was just like no one's watching over you you know no one cares if you go to class you don't get grades on attending class so I guess, to be honest, I was a bit of a piss up at university, but I still passed and I got through my my things. But I was going out partying and I was doing that very frequently. I sort of had a bit of a ritual from Thursday through to Sunday. I was out and about and minimal sleep and, you know, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there was one night I was out and I probably would have been 19 by this time. And, you know, I'd, I'd taken whatever I had taken. and this incredible wave of pain filtered through my body and it actually scared the shit out of me because 
it wasn't muscular pain or like neck pain or joint pain. It was a pain that I couldn't describe. And, you know, I was young and I was an idiot and my friend was also high and she's just like, just take another this. And, mm. and so that's what I did. You know, I, I noticed it, but I ignored it. And, you know, at that time of my life, I was not a person of self-responsibility or personal responsibility or having boundaries or knowing how to say no or really sticking up for myself. I was a massive people pleaser and and really just wanted to to belong and be accepted. So I would often morph myself into whatever was going on around me. So when that pain started to flare up, it didn't go away and it was this intermittent like attack of pain, but it felt like someone Mm. had lit fire inside of my body. And so I was, you know, ignoring it and I would go to nursing, I would go and party, go to nursing, go and party. And then when I actually started nursing, I sort of dropped the party scene because, you know, I was going out and looking after people and they were sick. They were properly sick and I needed to be on my game. But this pain was now spreading. It was spreading throughout my body and was very uncomfortable. So I started taking prescription medication that went from Panadol to Panadine to Panadine Fort to Endone to Oxycodone to Tramadol to Valium. Mm -hmm. And so that became my next drug and I was taking that to alleviate the pain. But it often didn't. It just kind of numbed me out from knowing it was there, but it was still there, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Long story short, I was working in the, the hospitals and the shift work was really messing around with the pain in my back. It started in my back, it spread down my arm, spread down my leg, then it went to the other side of my body. And so I spoke to my family about it and we said, well, let's, let's try and find some Monday to Friday nursing and see if that will change this thing. So I did. I went and started working for a plastic surgeon. It was Monday to Friday. It was consultancy nursing. So I was the head nurse of a plastic surgery practice and would welcome all the clients in that were coming in for body surgery. Mm -hmm. And I was like their go-to person. Three months into that job, I was at the top of a set of stairs and I went to walk down them to go and get the next patient with my boss. And I couldn't walk. And my, my mind and my foot they didn't cooperate. They weren't connecting. And I looked to my boss and I said, Doc, I don't know how to fucking walk. And he thought I was mucking around and, and, and joking. And I was like, no, I legitimately don't know how to put my foot forward. And seeing his face scared me because mm. he's the doctor and he's probably thinking, shit, what's wrong with their brain? And I never across my time yeah. thought that there was anything wrong with my brain. I just thought that I've just got this pain in my body and what a, what a pain in the ass. So he took me over to the Epworth Hospital for an MRI and I'm very blessed that he could fast track me through the system. So I got an MRI, we got the results back. He had no idea what it meant and then he sent it off to a a neurosurgeon and that neurosurgeon, he responded back to my boss and said, I need to see her within 48 hours and I will make time for her. Mm -hmm. So um, this now, now I was the age of 23. So I went into the, to the neurosurgeon's office with my mum and my mum's this cute little Filipino and she was praying in the lift, hoping that everything would be okay. And we walked in and he said to me, I have this congenital brain condition called an Arnold Chiari malformation. And it's basically slowly turning me into a paraplegic. 
My God. And that's what all the pain was. So fundamentally or, or functionally, sorry, my, my brain was too big for my head and my brain mm-hmm. was pushing down into my spinal cord, blocking the cerebrospinal fluid, which runs up and down your spinal cord and around your brain to make you move and coordinate and flow and all the rest. And all of that was jammed in my spine. So it was creating these benign tumours in my spinal cord and that was causing the pain because the nerves were all compressed. And then that's what caused the disconnection. The nerve was so compressed that the message from my brain to my foot, it didn't work to move. So it's a very slow burn condition and often people don't find out what's going on until later in their life. So he said, you need surgery within six weeks. Otherwise, in six months without surgery, you will be in a wheelchair and you will need to learn how to, oh to walk and, and move and, and all the rest. And so that kind of got life got pretty serious then. Life got pretty serious then. And so we were all very hopeful that the surgery would work. I had the operation and everything was fixed structurally. But the pain, the nerves had been so poorly, badly damaged that the pain was still there and that was the thing that was fucking me up the most. You know, it was I couldn't sleep. I wasn't sleeping properly. I was afraid to go out. I was afraid to go to sleep. I was very overweight because I wasn't moving my body because I was afraid that if I moved that I would get in pain. So I was in this very bad cycle, really bad cycle. I was isolating myself from my friends. I was an absolute bitch to my partner at the time. I was so difficult to live with. I was very negative and My neurosurgeon, he basically said to me, you will have to learn to live with this for the rest of your life and this is what I would recommend for you to take. And these these were a type of drug that was an antipsychotic that tries to interrupt the pain message to the brain. Mm -hmm. And so whether that worked, whether it didn't, I don't know, but all I know, Han, is that it just, it blackened me out. And everything that was once life was just black. I felt like a zombie. I felt like I didn't have life in me. I felt like I didn't have a soul. I felt numb. I was numb. And that, that really, really scared me because, mm. you know, I, I, I had thoughts of not wanting to be here and I didn't really care about that. I had thoughts of losing my job and I didn't really care about that. I had thoughts of being an asshole to someone and I didn't really care about that. I really felt like I had a legitimate reason to be to be an asshole or to be mean or to be however I want. And I was very victimized. I was in a very big victim mentality. So 12 months later of taking that, I reached out to my parents and uh, I sent them all an email. By all, I mean, my mum my and dad, my brother and my boyfriend at the time. And I just said, either I'm out, like I'm pressing fucking abort mission on this life. I'm out. Or I need, a, I need another way. There has to be another way. Otherwise, this part of what I'm doing is not okay. It just wasn't acceptable for me. So I found, or well, my mum, she was a nurse and she, was, she had connections at the Austin Hospital and she reached out to a friend whose husband knew a neurologist who he sent my story to. And, you know, again, it took six months to see him, but he's like, I'll see her within three weeks. She sounds like she's a, a red hot mess. So I saw him. And I actually interviewed him on my podcast, which is an amazing, mm. oh, it was so amazing to talk to him again. I spoke to him and he basically said to me, there is a, there is a way that you can live a pain-free life. He said, it doesn't involve medication. 
it involves you retraining your brain. And I thought, what the fuck? Who is this dude? Like, come on, man. I'm just used to, you know, something quick fix me. Mm. He, he gave me a, a really powerful analogy, which I still use to this day. He said an Olympic athlete has the end result or a goal of a, of a gold medal and that that Olympic athlete will train and do whatever they have to do, food-wise, physical-wise, emotional-wise, mental-wise, to get as darn close to getting that gold medal as, as possible. Mm-hmm. And he said, I know you're not an Olympic athlete, cat, or you don't want a gold medal. He said, but you do have something inside of you that you want, just like a gold medal for an Olympic athlete. And it was the first time or maybe the first time I ever heard and really took in what he was saying and, and maybe my mum or my dad had said this before but I just wasn't ready to hear it. And so he said to me, what do you want? What are you, what's your gold medal? And I said, I just want to be free. I want to be free to be happy. I want to be free to be nice. I want to be free. I want to be free to do whatever the fuck I want. And so he said, well, that's the gold medal and now you work for that. So that's when he introduced me to visualisation, to meditation, to actually visualise myself happy, free, and doing whatever it is that I wanted to do. And he said, that's how you retrain your brain. And he was talking about neuroplasticity. So I was 24 at that time. I thought, fuck, this is a whole new world opening up to me. It made no sense logically, but I was very called to it. It was speaking to some other part inside of me. And he said, if you do this for 12 months and really commit to this for 12 months, he said, I reckon you might just have what you want. I reckon you might just have that freedom, but you have to do this every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I walked out of there and I, I said to my parents and I got permission from my doctor to not take the pills anymore. I said, I'm stopping the pills and I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to wake up, visualize myself free and act in favor of that. So I close my eyes see myself free and act in favour of that. And that became my formula. That became my, my life raft for the 12 months. And within that 10-month period, I had lost 15 kilos. I became pain-free. I was not taking any medication. I became happy. I became, I became me. I, like, uncovered myself from all of the mess and the the yuckiness that I was and that opening, that realisation and unlocking of my own power, that is what has led me to what I do today. Oh, I have goosebumps, Kat. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow, that's amazing. I only know you as such a, like, positive, happy person. Mm. The shift must – I didn't know you before, so I can't even imagine – I mean, 10 months, it's actually a long Mm -hmm. time in your life to kind of to work on something in that way, like an athlete would. Yes, yes. And and to work on it, not knowing if it's going to work, you know. Yeah. (laughs) So what were some of the habit Mm -hmm. changes that occurred? So I guess over that time, this is where I really learned about, so I learned about visualisation. So what I would do, the habit changes that I had to make was I'd wake up in the morning and instead of going for the Panadol, Endone, Valium, whatever it may be, I would close my eyes and I would just take a moment to breathe, to get in my body. Mm-hmm. And look, at the time, my body was in a lot of pain. So it was, yeah. it was still uncomfortable. But I just thought 12 months, cat. 
12 months, Kat. That's it. 12 months, Kat. That's it. It's, I know you think it's a long time, but it is not a long time. That's it. 12 months. This is all you got to do. So yeah. I'd close my eyes and I would breathe and I'd come into my body. And it was really the first time I was, uh, so a new habit that I was also doing through that was just sitting with myself and being with myself and not distracting or not, you know, on my phone or not whatever else. It was like, okay, I'm going to be with myself here. And so the, the, the practice and the habit was to visualize and then to, to really feel inspired by what I was seeing. And it was, you know, me being happy and, and smiling and, and doing whatever the fuck I wanted because in my reality I was limiting myself from doing whatever I wanted to do. So I would always ask the question, and this is sort of my own initiative, when I would visualise myself free and, and all the rest, I would ask myself, what can I do today to honour that? What can I do today to honour that? Even if it's just for five minutes, what can I do? And often it was the message that I would get was to move my body, move my body, move my body, because I wasn't doing it. And it's interesting because when I went back to see the professor of neurology who told me this whole sort of thing, he said, that's exactly what you needed. Your nerves were so like, it's like a, a guitar where the strings are too tight. Mm, and yeah. Your nerves needed to relax. And so you moving and walking and running and Pilates and whatever else may be. I don't think yoga was a thing back then. But you doing that, it, it loosened up and it relaxed the nerves and it brought life back to the nerves. And that truly was my, my habit change. I would I'd use my mind to visualise. I'd take inspired action, uh, which often was movement. So it started with a walk. It started with a, a maybe a light jog. It's, it progressed to weights. It progressed to working out at the gym. It progressed to heavier weights. It progressed to... I can run five kilometers. And so my focus unknowingly just started to shift to what can I do for my body? What can I do to feel good? How does my body feel? It feels amazing. Let's let's keep going. And my my mindset went off how do I not be in pain to how can I serve freedom? Mm. Freedom's one of my core values. I think this is why it's resonating so much with me. <laughs> yeah. And so then you started the ZF Tuesday, Zero Fucks mm -hmm. Tuesday movement. How did mm -hmm. that all come about and what has it kind of blossomed into? So really similar to, to that little process. So after that unlocking of, okay, if I know what I want, freedom, and I take inspired action and it happens, then what else can I begin to do? So I guess after that unlocking of myself, I started to ask questions of, okay, well, what else do I want? What else do I want for myself? And over time that started to build into, you know, creating my own business and, and serving people how I wanted to serve them. So things started to, to manifest basically. And so there was a time, I think it was probably because the Zero Fucks movement is nearly three years old. So it would have been three years into the business where, I set the intention, so another goal for myself, to basically create wealth and abundance through my creative expressions. So basically to create money through what I fucking love doing and what's easy mm. for me to do. That was my intention. I would dream into that. I'd visualise into that. And then one of the answers that I got was dance, you know, just like when I was doing it for my body, it was to move my body. 
this one, one day it said dance and I thought, what the fuck does this even mean? I mean, I've always danced. I've loved dancing. I've danced since I was a little kid and I, it just didn't make sense to me. I thought, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what this is talking about. So what I did is I just went up and got up and I danced and I've often used dance as a way to, to express myself and just to free stagnant shit. So I went up into my little loft space, played music, and I started dancing. And then this little, little, little voice in me was like, you should record this. And I thought, meh, okay, I can record this. And so I recorded it. And, and I had like barely any followers. I was kind of like a, a nobody-ish growing, you know, a nobody-ish growing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, when I finished my little process, that little voice inside of me said, you know, you should post this and share with your community what you do. This is about you, like just letting go and, and not caring and whatever else. And I thought, uh, nah, I don't want to fucking do that. What if they judge me? What if they this? What if they that? What if they think that I'm an idiot? What if like this is, it's just going to get backlash basically. So I kind of deliberated on that for like 20, 25 minutes. And then I just thought, nah, fuck it. This isn't about me. (sighs) This is about sharing with my community, just the things that I love to do. So I was putting the post together and I thought I can make this cheeky and, and, you know, say, um, this is me giving zero fucks here. And I, I reached out to my sister-in-law who's creative with words and she said, you should use like a hashtag that hasn't been used before. And it just, again, it was a Tuesday. So she's like, well, okay, so you're kind of giving zero fucks to Tuesday today. Why don't you make the hashtag ZF Tuesday? I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, that's cool. And it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be anything other than a post. And so I posted it and then I threw my phone on the other side of the room. I was like, I don't want anyone to see this. And the response was was incredible. It was, you know, very warm and very welcoming. And, oh, my gosh, I wish I could do that. I wish I had the confidence to do that. You know, I wish I could give more zero fucks. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. There are all these people here. Just I I, I guess I I was showing them what's possible for them but also showing them where they're stuck just through a post of me dancing. And there were comments that were saying, I can't wait till next Tuesday. Can't wait to see what's, what dance is next Tuesday. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not doing this again. <laughs> I'm not doing this again. No way. But that response kept coming. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll do it next Tuesday. And then I did it the Tuesday after and same thing happened. The Tuesday after, same thing happened. The Tuesday after and after six weeks of me just posting stuff up, was never was never meant for a movement or anything like that. People then started to send videos in and they started to tag me and they started to tag ZF Tuesday and Cat John and, hey, I'm freeing myself, I'm giving zero fucks. And I thought, oh, my God, what the fuck is going on here? So what started to happen was that the people started to, to tag their friends or people started to be like, what are you doing? And then they'd challenge their friends. And then probably six months into this, someone reached out to me and said, we would love you to do a Zero Fucks event on our rooftop in Melbourne. And I was like, get fucked, <laughs> not going to do that, you know. I was used yeah. to mass meditations and all that stuff, but like dance and bringing people together through dance. Anyway, I ended up doing it and the tickets sold out within two days. It was a rainy rooftop Tuesday and I thought, oh, my God, no one's going to fucking come. Everyone came plus more and it was pissing down rain and it just went kaboom. It was just out of fucking control. And 
it's so interesting because my original intention was to create wealth and abundance through my creative expressions. And, you know, since then, I mean, I've ran multiple zero fucks events, which don't actually make me a lot of money. And that's not the intention of them. But because of the, 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 the spread of the message, the amount of corporates that have reached out who are like, hey, can you come and talk about zero fucks to our team or run a zero fucks movement here or clients from international who are like, I want to coach with you because I love your movement and I love what you're about. And I thought that intention that I had and this movement that I have created has literally, it's done exactly what I've asked to bring out wealth and abundance through shit that I just fucking love to do. And so that's how it started. And this is how it continues to, to evolve. I, I've been to one of your events and I absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you have. So I've always been like a big, like it's kind of like ecstatic dance because it's, you're yeah. not drinking. So no, no. I think for me, something that freed me the most in my life was like learning mm. how to dance sober because it's one of those activities that people don't do sober. Mm. You associate it with like Friday nights out or dance floors at nightclubs and and yeah. most people that I speak to just think, oh, but you can't dance sober. But it's, it's just another form of exercise and yes. my body always goes into like ecstasy. Like it is yes. like a high feeling, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually was going to ask because you posted, recently posted a video and you you had like releasing like some emotional, I guess, mm. tension and you were crying. And I guess I totally understand the feeling of dance being able to do that. But for those that kind of haven't done that before, why do you think dancing can be so healing? I think, you know, there are different types of therapies, right? So when people come to me for coaching, it's a lot about the mind, a lot about mindset and talking things out and rerouting the way that they think and belief systems, et cetera. And that can create healing in itself. And then there are somatic or body healings. So that might be kinesiology or that might be movement, aka dance or even breath work, right? I think the power of dance uh, or somatic work, which is body work, you don't have to consciously go into what might be there or to uncover what is there. The movement can do that itself. And it's like your mind can take a holiday whilst you're there dancing and moving and, you know, going to the music. And for whatever reason, you might be unlocking this. Because what, what tends to happen, I'll share, I'll share, I'll share, I'll share, is when someone comes to like a dance like ZF Tuesday or like you said, ecstatic dance, when they come to a live event, especially if they're fresh, they come in uptight, tense, anxious, their body is holding on, right? Their body is holding on because their mind is holding on. So what tends to happen is the first few songs, there's like a bit of awkward dance and like, <laughs> you know, still up in the head. But then sort of like six, seven songs in. And this it's, it's something that I actually consciously watch. I watch the entire room shift and I'm like, there's the loose fucking bananas that are, that are there, you know. Six to seven songs in, you can see everyone's heads or most people, they're fucking like, see ya, I'm in Honolulu and their bodies are like, wow, free, you know. And so... With that, it's in that moment where the mind has taken a holiday, we have no idea what healing is taking on or going on inside of us. And that's where often 
after the dance has gone on, I take everyone through a meditation where they sit on the ground or they lie on the floor or they sit up against someone else's back and people will fucking break. They will cry. They will, they will just feel so cracked open. They don't know why. They don't know why. They don't know why. And they don't need to know why. It just feels fucking amazing. And so yeah. that's the power of movement and I believe music, you know, and, and but mm-hmm. also the meditation because it's often when you then go still that the emotions come through. Because if you think about it, for so much time we hold things in, hold things in, hold things in. And then when we have this release, of course we're going to release stuff. It can be awesome stuff. It can be sad stuff. It can be angry stuff. And that can come out through tears. That can come through out in feeling totally elated and wanting to hug people. That's that's what I see the process is of how dance and movement and meditation can bring about such powerful emotions. And, yes, that's you're right. That's what happened with me the other the other day when I was dancing. I literally stopped and I sat at the top of the stairs and I cried and I had no idea why. I didn't want to know why. I was just like, let it out, girlfriend. Let it out. Mm. Oh, love that. I need a good dance. I need a good dance and a good cry after this. <laughs> I actually can't stop thinking about because you were like, I just gave it a year. You start mm-hmm. to think about those things at the end of the year about like what are the habits and what are the things that I'm going to do next year. And I just, I had a meeting yesterday with all the people at work and we all were telling each other what were our news resolutions. And I kid you not, I totally like wasn't thinking about this interview, but I said I want to dance more because I didn't dance in oh, 2020. And it's wow. one of my favorite things to do. Oh. And it's just like this chat's coming to a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. And so on to dating, this is like, this has got a bit of a dating slant yeah, on sure. your website. I was reading a blog post that mm. by the time your last relationship ended after six years, you were a shell of a human. You'd taken on his likes, his hobbies, his friendships, and you ditched your own. And you had a thought, how am I going to rebuild from here? And then you also talk a lot about your current relationship, that you were friends beforehand. And so I guess I want to know, how did you rebuild? And then like, did you take time off dating before? before you kind of were in a good space to meet your current partner. So sort of what unfolded in your love life as this was all happening? Well, after the last boyfriend and I broke up, I'd always been a (laughs) relationship hopper. I was like one Mm -hmm. to the next, 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 to the next. And that was a very unconscious pattern until it became very conscious after the last breakup. Because after, after breaking up, I went to do the next, 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 next. And I could never land in a long-term one. So it was always like six weeks, six weeks, six weeks, six weeks. And I was probably nine months into that of doing that. And I thought, fuck, no, no, this this has got to stop. This has definitely got to stop. This is causing a lot of pain and also a lot of anger towards males. And I could feel internally that it wasn't about the men, it was about me. So I had a realisation where I had to admit that I have real difficulty being on my own and being by myself and basically having my own identity. So like I said in that in that blog post, I was so used to having an identity wrapped up in, yeah, I'm going out with this person, this is my boyfriend, mm. this is my life and this is what we do and really not knowing what I liked and what I disliked and and living into that. So 
it was a big thing for me to go, holy fucking shit, I don't have my own identity. And that scared the shit out of me. And there was that part of me, which I call the ego, that was trying to grab onto the next person, like find, find, find the next person. But I knew in my truth that it was it was really, really time to get to know myself. I think I was 25, 24, 25 at the time. And I was seeking support from kinesiologists and mentors and life coaches at that time to really advance and develop myself. And the resounding message for me was to date myself, you know, to go out on my own, to go out to cafes and and sit with myself and journal out, you know, what do I like? What do I not like? What are my values? What do I stand for? What don't I stand for? You know, what is my opinion on this? What is my opinion on that? It was a lot of work to do because I had to, it felt like I was starting from scratch. It felt like I had no idea what was important to me and what I stood for and what my values were. So it was a big rebuilding phase. And that took, when did I meet Steve? Steve and I started going out when I was 33. I'm 35 now. Am I 33, 32, 33? Can't remember. And yeah, so that was like a, you know, an eight year process. So once I had started to rebuild the relationship with myself and be glued to myself. I, I, I kept envisioning, so still using the same formula, I kept envisioning, you know, me being glued to me and having a relationship with myself. And that was the number one relationship that I had to look after. So that was my end result. That was my end vision. And then once I had sort of done that and I and I still need to continue doing that, I was dating guys, but I was still attracting in like emotionally unavailable dudes. Mm. So once again, I was sort of blaming them, but it was it was me, you know. I was sort of half-half about it. I sort of became so independent and so glued to myself that I swung the other way of like, I don't fucking need you, I don't fucking need a man, which funnily enough pushed them away, which was still feeding into, you know, my belief system of like, oh, it's so hard to find love and what's wrong with me or what's wrong with them. So my next layer of work was... How can I be my independent self and be open to love? How can I be strong and resilient and and know who I am, but also have this vulnerable side and this open side? Basically, how can I open up my heart? So when I met Steve, actually, you asked a question about taking a break. I, I Again, I went into the vision of, so I had a vision of like me in an ultimate relationship being my true self, he was his true self, and we would come together and have an awesome life. So that was my vision. And mm. one of the, the guidance pieces that I got, it actually came through a symbol or the vision of a nun. I thought, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> and what I took from that was like a nun is celibus and, you know, I'd been kind of like going out and fancy freeing and doing my thing. And so what I took from that was, okay, it's, it's, it's really now time for me to stop playing in that field and, and attracting in those guys and, and really just own what it is that I want and hold space for that and be okay with that because I was sort of seeking out superficial connections. So as I started to do that, I think I didn't have sex for like mm, 18 months 
weirdly enough, Steve was Steve was my friend and he was right under my nose, but I never saw him that way. You know, I was like, oh, he's a dad, he's divorced, he's older, he's nine years, nine years older than me, I think. And he was just, you know, the friend guy. But as I kept going into the vision of the relationship that I wanted and I would hang out with Steve as a mate, it became more and more clear that the energy of the man that I was after, it was, it was Steve. He, he, he held that. He held that energy and it was within him. So it took me a while to accept that he was, he was my guy because I still had like, you know, my ego's version of who I wanted it to be. And then, yeah, we, we did our dance, took six months of us on and off and up and down and him pushing away and me pushing away and him pushing away to land where we are today. Oh, 18 months. I love 18 months, man. <laughs> that's what really stood out for me. Maybe that's what I need to 18 do. I months. Like I'm just getting, oh, I'm getting so many nuggets from you right now. I just, <laughs> and the thing is that when you're, when you're dating and you're not taking that time for yourself, you are attract like if you're attracting those men into your life, it does cloud your judgment. I loved what you said about you visualized you being your true self and him being his true self. Because mm-hmm. we all put on so many faces and acts, and dating can be such oh a like a big act and an interview, and and you you don't go on dates as your true self. Nope. That's nope. Yeah. You, we we oh. bring the resume. We bring a resume. Yes, we do. And we bring you a know? checklist as well for them. Correct. 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 We we basically come armored up. Right. And mm. I actually I, I've spoken about this multiple times on my Instagram, like IGTV. We come armored up. And it's a very normal thing and it's a very natural thing for us to do because we think, okay, well, if I've come armored and if they reject me for my armored self, that's fine. But if we come as our true self and we get rejected for that, then that's going to hurt. So we, you know, we show up a certain way. So how I used to show up was this little people pleasing, like, yeah, I fish, Mm. (laughs) I camp or Yeah, I like dirt buggy fucking things, which, you know, all of that stuff I don't mind, but I would just morph into them. And then I swung, like I said, the opposite way where I would be like, "Mm, I don't fucking need a man. I'm confident. I'm fine on myself. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need. So what do you reckon I was putting out? I don't need you. So all I got was this sexual interaction with a cool, you don't need me. Bye. Mm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Oh, well, that is all the time we have time. We All the time we have. Oh my God, I've lost my words. It makes anyway, sense. Thank you so much for your time. I have a lot to think about. I actually, as we were speaking, because we have our videos off, I'm writing notes. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I've never done that before in an interview. I was just writing notes of things I had to think about today. <laughs> You're the best. God, I love uh, you. That was so much fun. Thanks so much, Cash. My pleasure, Treasure. All right, Linda. So, welcome back. What did you think? Loved all of it and particularly related to her going on dates and people-pleasing when she said, yes, I fish, yes, I camp. So, you kind of morph into what the guy likes because when I met Dad, he absolutely loved camping and I'd never been camping and I said, yes, I'd love to go camping, love an adventure and I definitely think I would be into camping. So the first time we went. You'd never been camping before? Never. 
No way. So the, <laughs> okay. Not with anyone. So the first time we camped, Rob stamped so hard on a big log to break it for the campfire that it flew up into my face, splished <gasps> my lip, and I tried oh not gosh. to cry. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> it was bleeding everywhere. And then I got a really big fat lip. And then I thought when I was reflecting on it yesterday, why did I ever agree to go again? But we did go again. And you might remember when you were young, Rob took us camping. Yes. And towards the end of the trip, he took us to a remote campsite without showers or toilets. What? Yes. We rocked up in the car. I took one look at the lack of amenities don't even worry about marble bathrooms, and I burst into uncontrollable heaving <laughs> sobs. But- and we had to leave and find a motel, and I'm pretty sure that was the end of my camping time. days. Well, to give people some context, when we used to travel to Thailand, because Linda used to come to Thailand, if you can believe it, we used to go to Thailand, and I remember Dad taking – he never booked anything. He's just that – he. you know what? Dad should come on for a travel episode because he never books anything. He does oh, he now. does now, but he didn't. I said to him, do you want to go camping? And he's like, no, I, I don't do, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> no, we actually threw out all the tents. Sorry, sorry, he's morphed into you. So you morphed That's into true. him, and now he's morphed into you because I true. asked him, "Do you want to go for a hike and camp?" And he said, "I can't." So I don't know what's happened, but he's become too snobby for camping. Mm. And we got to a hotel in Thailand. I remember this vividly. And you would always, the first thing you would do is go into the bathroom, have a look at the bathroom, and we would stay there if you didn't cry. But if you started to cry, we would have to leave. (laughs) Do you remember that? Probably. I've got a funny thing about toilets. I, I can't. I can't describe it. Well, I think you would probably die at this hostel, but anyway. Do we have the same blood, Linda? Like if you were at the hostel that I'm at now, you'd probably die. I think you're turning into me. Don't you worry about that. And what I liked <laughs> about this episode is I that did, you. But wait, I did call you last <laughs> night and I said, Mum, I'm too old for this shit. Too so old. I'm too Whilst old. you had Wi-Fi in your last place, did you end up getting yep. to the end of Netflix's Bridgerton? Oh, my God, I sure did. Sorry, your text said, just really quickly, (laughs) Mum, you said you'll like this. I said I need something to watch tonight, hot sex, question mark, and you said it's a period drama, i.e. no hot sex. There couldn't be more sex. So I've mistaken it as a period drama. It was actually soft porn. Really? It was. I know. I told. It was like it was like three hundred and sixty-five days, except set in the past. Guys, this is a long episode, so we're going to head off now. See you next week. If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. See you next week.